Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Keezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. That organ sound, the crack of the bat, and the roar of the crowd means it's time for the start of the Major League Baseball season. However, this is a baseball season like no other. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, the start of the season was delayed four months. Instead of a 162-game season, we'll just have 60 games. There will be some new rules. More importantly, fans won't be allowed inside the ballparks. That will make watching games on TV eerily strange. On this edition of the podcast, we'll preview the New York Mets with Newsday's Tim Healy, the Boston Red Sox with Nesson's Tom Caron, and the MLB as a whole with John Paul Morosi of MLB Network and Fox Sports. The New York Yankees are being considered one of the favorites to win the World Series, especially after signing free agent pitcher Garrett Cole. The Yankees open the season Thursday when they visit the World Series champion Washington Nationals. To talk about the Yankees is the beat writer for the New York Daily News, Christy Ackert. Christy, how's it going? I hope you're staying safe down there. Doing well. So far, it seems fine. That's good. Uh, before we get into baseball, one thing that I enjoyed, you know, what you still you were down in Tampa during the uh, pandemic, uh, you were taking a lot of pictures of uh, birds and all that stuff. I enjoyed a lot of those pictures. Oh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I took something to keep my myself busy <laughs> that's good so well last time we chatted earlier in the year you know, it was right before spring training was starting and i said i have you back prior to the season i just didn't think it'd be that late july so how crazy has this been it's been very weird um i mean everything's weird of course you know life is weird mm-hmm. now um but you know we talk about how pitchers and players are creatures of habit so are we and it's it's been very strange just not doing anything. I mean, for you personally, you know, you know, you were producing stories just about every day. I mean, how tough was it to uh, you know to find something to write about? Uh, that was probably the hardest stretch of my career. I mean, that that's really hard when you don't have um, access to what you're supposed to be writing about on a daily basis. Um, you know, it, it, you had to get a little creative, I guess. Yeah. So uh, you covered the games uh, this weekend uh, at uh, City Field and at Yankee Stadium against the Mets. No fans in there. How strange was it to cover a game with empty seats? Um, you know, it's funny because the workouts before um, seemed stranger to me. Um, maybe because it was so quiet. And it felt like you were kind of sneaking into a museum you weren't supposed to be at. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, initially at, at City Field, you were kind of caught off guard by the cardboard cutouts and 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 the noise, the crowd noise. They're kind of working with it, so the reaction time is a little weird. Um, I, you know, I listened to a lot of the game last night, and on the radio, it sounds more natural and when I did that it was kind of easy to kind of get back into okay focusing on the game Mm -hmm. 
As I mentioned, uh, many people leave the eggs that have the talent to win it all this year. I mean, in a strange way, Christy, the time off may have benefited players like Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton, you know, the guys who've been uh, injured for the most part. They get a chance to get a healthy. J Judge hits a couple home runs uh, Sunday night against the Mets. Uh, do you think the Yankees benefited from the extra time off? Yeah, obviously. I mean, their outfield was probably not going to be ready for opening day. Judge was, you know, dealing with a fr you know stress fracture in his rib. Stanton had a drained calf, and Aaron Hicks was still a few months away from, you know, in his rehab from Tommy John. All three of them look ready to go. Um, James Paxton was going to miss the first month. He's going to be ready to go. I mean, that helps them. What we don't see is, you know, they they don't have their closer because, you know, he's on the COVID test, you know, COVID list. So it balances out, I think, and, and we're going to see if, you know, guys are not warming up quickly in terms of, like, you know, this training camp, or did they not, you know, work hard over the, you know, break, and we're going to see them break, the, you know, break down, maybe get a little tired once the season starts. I guess we'll see. Yeah, you mentioned the closer, Aroldis Chapman, diagnosed with the uh, coronavirus. DJ LeMay, he was also diagnosed. He's back in camp. And, of course, uh, Marishiro uh, Tanaka was hitting head by a line drive off the bat, Stan. So what are their statuses right now as we head to opening night on Thursday? You know, I think LeMay will probably be be there Thursday. I mean, he was in the lineup last night. Um, it looks like he's very close to this timing, and he worked out all the whole quarantine um, in Tampa for most, I mean, all but the very end. I mean, he's physically, I think, probably ready to go. Chapman, we have no idea because there's no there's no timing on these things in terms of when they can get you know get clear of the virus. They have to have two negative tests within 24 hours and be cleared by a panel. So um, it doesn't sound like he's close, but we just don't know with those things. Mm -hmm. uh, Tanaka threw a bullpen yesterday and is going to face live hitters probably on Tuesday. Okay. Uh, obviously, the big acquisition was uh, Garrett Cole, free agent from the Astros. Yeah, he seems to have been looked sharp in, the, uh, in spring training and then in the, here in the summer camp. Your thoughts on me? Is, is he ready to handle the pressure of the big contract in the big city? He seems, he seems to be fit for it. Um, <clears throat> you know, I have a lot of faith in scouts, and um, one of my favorite scouts and one of one of my friends is uh, Damon Oppenheimer, who is the man who scouted him for the Yankees when they drafted him years ago. And, you know, he has always said Garrett Cole, even from when he was a teenager, has the makeup to carry the weight of the pinstripes, is how he puts it. Um, he seems confident, um, not, not too cocky, but confident, and... Um, he seems to want that role, so, um, you know, we'll see. I mean, it's always interesting until it happens. A-Rod was cut out for it, too, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> so, obviously, with no crowd, too, I mean, it's probably a little bit less pressure. You don't have to, if he has to struggle a little bit, you won't hear fans booing him, also. maybe that'll help him out a little bit. Plus, you know, he grew up as a Yankee fan, so I think he understands the pressures involved in pitching for the Yankees. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it is also New York. He's going to have to look at three back pages every day if he doesn't do well. Yeah. And he's going to, and, and people will let him know via uh, sports talk radio and other things. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting. He, I mean, he's he privately said this spring that, you know, the media is fine. It's a lot more than he's used to, but we'll see. Yeah. What are the strengths and weaknesses of this club? The strength is depth. Um, I mean, obviously they have a lot of power through their lineup. I think after last season, they learned the lesson of having extras that can play. I mean, their depth is very good. Their depth in the rotation is good. With Cole, that makes Paxton their number two. Paxton was great last year at the end of the year. Um, their bullpen, your closer goes down two weeks before opening day, and you've got a closer who almost won the Cy Young a few years ago, you know, already in your bullpen. So I think their depth is their strength. Their weakness could be um, they didn't go out and spend at the shortstop. They're putting that in the hands of Glaber Torres, and that hasn't blown me away yet. Um, and, I mean, that's really the only true glaring weakness I see on that team. They're, I mean, they're a pretty stacked team. Well, of course, I grew up in Philadelphia Phillies fan, so I'm happy Dee's uh, with the Phillies. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, with only 60 games uh, being played this year, Christy, it's a, it's a sprint to the finish. Does Aaron Boone manage this team differently than if it was a 162-game season? I think you have to. I mean, every game counts. You can't be thinking about your bullpen three days down the road. You've got to win today. Um, you know, bullpen, maybe that is something that's a question mark, is how does he handle the bullpen? He hasn't shown a real affinity for it in the, bull, in the past, um, though I didn't think he did a terrible job in the playoffs with it. Um, but that's going to be crucial. Knowing your players, knowing what they are capable of and what you have available, and, and managing to that day, that's going to be very important. How important is it for the Yankees to get off to a good start? I mean, the American League East, it seems like there's going to be between them and uh, Tampa Bay. I think it's going to be huge. I mean, yeah, it's going to be huge for any team. Um, I think the Yankees should be concerned about the Rays because if they've shown us anything, is that they are a very adaptable team. And or front office and organization. If anybody's going to figure out loopholes and ways to, you know, game this, it'll be the Rays. Um, the, the thing about the Yankees is, you know, the Blue Jays gave them a hard time last year too, and that's a team that's just getting older and better. I mean, they were young last year. Mm-hmm. Um, any team has to get off to a good start, but I mean, there are some minefields in this in this schedule for the Yankees. Of course, the Blue Jays, we don't know where they're going to play yet because they've been banned from Canada from playing. So that's going to be interesting to see how uh, the Blue Jays deal with that. Yeah. yeah. So Definitely. I mean, could be upstate New York. Yeah, I mean, Buffalo's been mentioned. Pittsburgh's being mentioned. So it's, uh, it's a, you know, stay tuned one of those scenarios as we get closer to the season. So, oh, Christy, appreciate it. I don't know how much closer we can get. <laughs> It's yeah, I know. It's just it's it's upon us right now. I can't wait for it to start. It's gonna be just 
you know, between this and the NHL and NBA restarting, it's, it's going to be a uh, just a crazy uh, sports uh, calendar. And, of course, up here in, in New York State with Saratoga going on, just it's going to be we go from basically nothing to all of a sudden we're you know, trying to find space to put stuff in the paper. So it's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, we'll watch your coverage, obviously, on Twitter and in the uh, New York Daily News. You can follow Christy on Twitter at by Christy Ackert. Christy, thanks for your time. As always, uh, please stay safe while covering the Yankees, and we'll talk soon. I appreciate it. Thanks. You stay safe, too. I appreciate that, Chrissy. Thanks. Up next, we'll go from the Bronx to Queens and talk about the Mets with Newsday's Tim Healy. You're listening to the Party Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. NASCAR fans, it's time to rev up the engines and play the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. Each week during the 36-week racing season, you pick 10 drivers. If you have the week's best point total, you'll receive a $50 Hannaford gift card. If you have the best point total for the season, you'll win a $250 Hannaford gift card. Be part of the fun. Go to dailygazette.com slash autoracing. Get your motor running and play today. Hi, I'm Cena Men's Cross Coach William Gleason, and you're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. We're back. Uh, glad you're joining us here on the Major League Baseball Preview Edition of the Parting Shots Podcast. Now let's talk about New York's other team, the Mets, with the Mets beat writer for Newsday, Tim Healy. Tim, hope you're doing well and staying safe. Yes, thank you for having me. I hope you're well and safe as well. All right, we are, and appreciate you coming on here for a few minutes. Uh, First, the big news with Jacob DeGrom, uh, you know, his back became a concern last week when he left a simulated game. He says he's fine. Is he? And how much of a concern this, should this be? It, excuse me, it sounds like it's a basically no concern. It was, it was last week in an intra-squad game that he pitched just one inning because his back was tight and wasn't getting loose like it normally does. So the Mets sent him for an MRI. The MRI didn't really turn up anything serious. And since Rojas and you and I you know, talked about him uh, earlier this year in the podcast. I mean, it's certainly going to be t- tough taking over a team and a new club, especially when it's your first uh, MLB managerial job. job uh. So with the delay to the start of the season and playing only 60 games, how much more difficult is it for Rojas to lead this club? I don't think it really makes it more difficult other than dealing with the, the random, unexpected stuff that really everybody's dealing with right now or otherwise. Uh, so, uh, you know, of all the things a major league manager has to do, just add to that list, you know, making sure he's doing mound visits correctly and not actually getting too close to his picture, pitcher. Make sure he's not sitting too close to bench coach Hensley Mullins and, you know, that making sure he's social distancing, setting a good example in the dugout. So, it's some quirky stuff, but I don't know how many extra degrees of difficulty are really involved. That said, it's been uh, it's been quite the what is it seven months or so for Rojas. You know, Beltran gets fired, 
almost, you know, basically two or three weeks later, and then everything since then with the pandemic. So it's been a wild ride for Rojas already. And uh, like anybody else, I guess, he's taking it as it comes. If the Mets struggle in this 60-game stretch, I mean, does he get a pass because it's just a fluky situation? I I would think so. Uh, Rojas, you know, as, I, as we've talked about before, he has a lot of fans in the organization and within baseball generally. So he, he's been a long-time managerial prospect. I don't think anybody is going to rush to judgment on um, Rojas as a manager after 60 games. If, if you look at a rookie manager any given year, look at how he's doing on Memorial Day, and almost always you're not going to say, oh, this guy's terrible, or oh, this guy's brilliant, right? It's only two months. So uh, for me at least, that logic holds and applies to this season. What was it like um, covering games with no fans? Weird. It's weird. Uh, The Mets on Saturday, one of the goofiest things was between innings a couple of times, they played on the video board old footage of fans dancing around and having fun in the stands. And meanwhile, the ballpark's empty, so that, that was kind of trippy. And then Sunday, Yankee Stadium, uh, in the middle of the seventh inning, they played God Bless America and Take Me Out to the Ball Game, even though there weren't a few fans. So it's just, it's just sort of like, who, who are they playing this for, you know? Especially take me out to the ball game, so uh, it's super weird. I, maybe I'll get used to it. We generally will get used to it, but uh, so far it's pretty bizarre. And covering the team is going to be a lot different now because you're not going to be allowed in the clubhouse. It's going to be like what, Zoom interviews at, at post game and stuff like that. Yeah, all uh, normally, of course, reporters are allowed in the clubhouse on the field during batting practice. This year, none of that is happening, so the coverage, the interviews are limited to Zoom interviews before and after games, so it's going to be, you know, the the job of a beat writer is much different and much harder this year because it'll be more difficult to get different and unique things, Um, you know, interviews, stories, things like that, so uh, it's going to take a little more hard work, but that's never been a problem before. Yeah. Well, you tweeted this on Monday, Tim. Uh, today marks two years since Yannis Cespedes' most recent Major League game. Three surgeries, a wild boar attack. I still laugh at that wild boar attack. And, and part of one global pandemic later, he's looking like a really good bet to be on the Mets' opening day roster. How has he looked, and will he be in the outfield or be the DH since the National League will use the DH this year? He, uh, to take the first part first, he looked pretty good. You know, he, he, he hasn't seen, you know, in, in the two in the two exhibition games against the Yankees, he didn't do much at the plate, but I'm not, I generally don't read too much into exhibition results. I guess Mets pitchers, MVP, he's looked better. Uh, of course, the real test will start Friday against the Braves, so running-wise, he's looked surprisingly healthy and sound, uh, running the bases during games, during drills. Uh, moving around in the outfield a little bit. He hasn't been tested too much defensively yet, so there are still hurdles he needs to clear as an outfielder. So for that reason, to address the second part of that question, uh, I, I expect him to mostly or exclusively be a DH, at least early in the year. The Mets still hope to play him in the outfield and basically build his endurance in the field. He played three innings Sunday night, probably going to play 
play more innings between now and Friday. Um, so the, the Mets hope to use him in left field, but uh, you know, to me, there are minimal. There's minimal extra benefit of of doing that. Yeah, the Mets lost both of their games against the Yankees over the weekend. What did you take away from it? I took away with it. Uh, actually, one of my takeaways was that besides Hunter Strickland, who had a pretty good inning, really good inning against the Yankees Sunday night, the relievers didn't really impress that much. You know, it was really just Strickland who's battling for a roster spot and Seth Lugo, who, of course, is one of the best relievers in baseball. He was excellent Sunday night. Uh, so my my main takeaway was baseball is just about back for real, and for now that's good enough. <laughs> I, I don't think I had too many conclusions, uh, hard and fast conclusions uh, from those exhibitions as far as myths on the field and you know what can be read into those results. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned Jacob Degrom, uh, obviously Noah Syndergaard out for the year after Tommy John surgery. Um, what's the rotation look like? Behind DeGrom, it is going to be Stroman, Matt, Porcello, and Waka. Uh, the Mets have not announced an order for those, but for those guys, but those are the order that that's the order that I would put them in. Uh, in my, you know, semi-educated opinion, let's say. Uh, so, uh, what's interesting about the rotation this year is that three of the five guys, Stroman, Porcello, and Waka are going to be free agents after the year. So the Mets are going to have some holes to fill this offseason, and if any of those guys impress during these 60 games, maybe they're, you know, it's a de facto tryout for maybe a, a longer stay with the Mets. If the Mets want to contend uh, for the NL East or a wild card berth, how important will it be for them to get off to a good start in a 60-game season? It's absolutely imperative. You know, the, the Mets have made a habit in recent years of kind of lollygagging in the beginning of the season. They've had terrible Junes, as most of their fans will be able to tell you off the top of their head. And then picking it up better in the second half. This year, they don't have that luxury. You know, it's going to be pedal to the metal starting Friday for the Mets, Thursday for a couple of other teams, including the Yankees. So it's, it's you know, the cliche with baseball is to say it's a marathon of a season. And that's true. But this year, that is absolutely not true. It's going to fly by and be done before we know it. And I mentioned this earlier, but in a normally baseball season, think about what you know about teams by Memorial Day. Usually Memorial Day is the sort of unofficial checkpoint of, okay, let's see what the standings look like um, to get a sense of how the season, the season is shaping up. But this year, that's going to be the whole season. And it's, it's, it's going to be fast, and it's going to be fascinating. And I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, Pete Alonso obviously had a monster year last year, rookie of the year, hit 50 home runs. Obviously, he can't repeat the 50 home run unless he just goes nuts. But uh, how do you see his uh, second year? It, I, I expect Pete Alonso to be good. He showed last year he's one of the best sluggers in the, in the majors, and that is what the Mets have him penciled in for. You mentioned, he's, I mean, obviously he's not going to have 53 home runs in 60 games, but even when this was going to be a full normal season, I figured, eh, you know, Alonzo could take a step back, maybe hit, you know, a mere 40 or 45 home runs, and that's, that's still a terrific season. So uh, Alonzo last year may not be what he is every year, but the takeaway should be that he's a very good player, and even Alonzo taking a step back is still a superb 
let's wrap this up with uh, the Mets ownership situation. What's the latest you can tell us? There hasn't been a ton of change lately, but there seems to be, and I say seems to be because it's hard to tell the entirety of what's going on behind the scenes, but there seems to be three groups in the running. The front runner, as I see it, <clears throat> excuse me, is Steve Cullen, who is a Long Island native, lifelong Mets fan, minority owner of the team, worth $13 billion of a fortune he made on Wall Street. He's the guy who had a deal to buy the team in December and fell apart, and now he is again the front runner and bidding for the team. Behind him, the one that gets more attention is the A-Rod, J-Lo group of investors. Personally, uh, I'm skeptical that they will have enough money to compete with Steve Cohen to actually pull this off. Uh, they have a lot of star power and celebrity, obviously, but that isn't really good enough when it comes to buying a team. Uh, if they uh, said, if they get another mega wealthy investor that can ship in a few, you know, several hundred millions of dollars, that, that, could, that could be a game changer. Yeah. The third group, though, and the sort of the one to keep an eye on, is Joshua Harris and David Blitzer. They, they own the 76ers in the NBA and the NHL New Jersey Devils. So they know what protein sports ownership is like, and they, I believe, have more money than A-Rod and J-Lo. And if it's not Colin, it could very well be Harrison Butcher. That'd be kind of weird for an ownership group to have a team in one, an NBA team in one city, an NHL team in another city, and a Major League Baseball team in a, a third city. That's just that's nuts. Not, not only that, but they own a soccer team in the English Premier League, and they own part of the Pittsburgh Steelers. So they have a quite the quite the portfolio building of, of sports teams. Well, you can follow Tim on Twitter at Tim B Healy. Uh, Tim, thanks for coming on. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. Right, Thank pre- you. Appreciate it. Stay safe down there. Thanks, uh, thanks, Tim. Uh, Nessence, Tom Karen up next to talk about the Boston Red Sox. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Saratoga Horse Racing fans, want a chance to win a $50 gift certificate? Then play the Daily Gazette Saratoga Pick 7. Pick your horses to score the most points in the first seven races at Saratoga Racetrack. The winner receives a $50 gift certificate to either an area eating establishment, hardware store, golf course, bookstore, or wine and liquor store. To see the list of establishments participating, pick up a copy of the Daily Gazette. To play, Go to pick7.dailygazette.com and make your picks 15 minutes before post time the day of the race. The Saratoga Pick 7 contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not affiliated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is Daily Gazette sports writer Mike McAdam. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast and our Major League Baseball preview. Let's head east to the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, where the Boston Red Sox seem to be a team in transition. To talk about that is the host of the Red Sox pre- and post-game show on Nesson, 
and the boys of Hockey East on Nesson. And he also hosts the TC and Jerry podcast with Red Sox TV analyst Jerry Remy. Here's Tom Karen. Now, Tom, welcome to the podcast. Hope you're well. Hope you're staying safe. And it's you know, been a while since we've uh, chatted back in the uh, ECAC hockey days. Yeah, hey, Ken, how you doing? Yeah, those were the days, doing those uh, championship games out in Lake Placid. Uh, when we used to carry those, now we do the hockey, so we don't see as much. Now nobody's doing college hockey, so nobody sees anybody. <laughs> no, it's just it's crazy, but uh, glad. thank you for coming on to talk about the Red Sox. And, of course, a lot of changes, uh, which started late last season when general manager Dave Dombrowski was fired and replaced by Brian O'Halloran. Alex Cora was let go as manager because of his role in the Houston Astros cheating scandal. Uh, when he was the bench coach, Ron Renneke is replacing Cora. Uh, he only has the interim tag. Uh, so, And, of course, Moogie Betts, David Price were traded to the Dodgers. Chris Sale is going to be out because of Tommy John surgery. So what's this season going to look like for the Red Sox? Who knows? I mean, really, this, just, this is one of the most uh, uncertain starts to a season I can ever remember. It is, you know, If you look at the 2018 World Championship team, they won the World Series. Uh, offensively, they're almost same team. So they're going to hit the ball. They should be able to bash the ball. Mookie Betts, obviously, the big uh, subtraction from that team, but just about everybody else is the same. Uh, it's the pitching. The, the starting rotation is, is totally upside down. I mean, you know, in 2018, you had Chris Sale and David Price and Rick Porcello. Uh, now you, you don't have any of those guys at all. And Eduardo Rodriguez, who would have been the opening day starter, uh, just rejoined the team over the weekend after testing positive, and he's way behind. So Nathan Evaldi, the former Yankee, will get the ball for opening day, and then they'll try to patch it together. They signed Martin Perez, kind of a kind of a journeyman. He's almost your number two now, and they'll have the opener going. So we have no idea what the pitching is going to look like, but it's pretty thin in the rotation. Does it still seem strange after all these months that they traded Mookie? It does. Uh, I, you know, I'm on the inside watching this team every day and hearing what's that. So it wasn't as surprising to me as I think it was to a lot of people outside. I think it was pretty clear that Mookie Betts was going to reach free agency. He made that abundantly clear, and he's still making it clear now. Uh, the Dodgers thought they would have a chance to sign him before all of this hit and turned everything upside down. So the worry for Hyam Bloom, who's the new chief baseball officer who came from Tampa Bay, uh, the worry there was that they would lose one of the most valuable assets in the game and get nothing in return. So they get three players in return. Alex Verdugo will play right field right away. The other two guys, uh, Connor Wong and, and Jeter Downs, a little further down, and then probably the double A in a normal season. Uh, so they, just, they, they thought they needed to get something in return. And listen, they could always sign him back as a free agent to get as much chance as anybody else. I don't think that'll happen. But uh, it really... The, the part about Mookie Betts wasn't a salary dump. The inclusion of David Price was the salary dump. That's where they used that move to get under the uh, payroll tax for next year. Is that why with Dombrowski was fired? Because he was you know, maybe spending too much money? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he did exactly what they brought him in to do. He won a world championship, but he went all in and he kept going all in and the two deals specifically, you know, they gave Nathan Evaldi four years and a lot of money, and he's had a lot of injury concerns over his career. Good pitcher when he's healthy, but he's not healthy that often. And then Chris Sale, they gave him the big extension before he ever threw a pitch last year, and it was pretty clear from the end of the year before the World Series when he was coming out of the bullpen that he uh, had some damage there. Now we know that it was the elbow and it's Tommy John. So I, I just think that 
he was spending money and trading assets to get the players now. High and Bloom, much more of a Tampa Bay type of executive, looking at the long term, looking at prospects, trading present talent for future, rebuilding opportunities, and that's what the Mookie Betts deal was all about. I mean, how, are the fans on board with this? Because you know how they have a great fan base here in Boston. I mean, are they on board with this? No. <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were not at all happy that they traded Mookie Betts. Uh, the, the backlash was intense. Uh, obviously, it's, it's kind of gotten pushed aside in the pandemic. I mean, we have bigger things to worry about than trading Mookie Betts. So uh, I think uh, it's not quite the same passion as it was. But when it happened just before the season, January, February, there was a huge outcry uh, about the deal. You know, you don't trade one of the best players in the game. You, you try to extend that. That's what most players felt. I'm just telling you, I mean, Mookie turned down over $300 million from the Red Sox. And, you know, they felt they were making a good effort to keep him, that they, no matter what they offered him, he was going to leave for free agency. So they felt they had no choice. But fans don't look at it that way. Fans want their best players in uniform. Yeah. I mean, are the Red Sox fortunate in a way that this is going to be a shortened season and it's uh, you know, sort of a throwaway season? To an extent, yeah. I mean, it's a... Uh, you know, just look at the starting rotation, Ken. They got, they're going to have to go to the opener. You know, they're going to have to use a reliever as a starter probably every fifth day or more. And, you know, so that means you're doing it about 10 times this season as opposed to 30, 32, 33 times over a long season. You might be able to hide it. You know, you can go to the bullpen more often and sooner like you do in the playoffs over this short season. So there, there, you know, there's a feeling here within the organization that they can cobble together this pitching staff over a short season and try to bash their way to some wins and maybe be above 500 and be in the hunt for a playoff spot. That might not have been the case uh, over the long term if you had to play 162 games. So uh, if they've got a chance, I think it's heightened because it's a shorter season and the bullpen is good enough that it might be able to prop up that rotation. What are your thoughts on uh, Ron Raddick? As I mentioned, uh, he has the interim manager tag on him. Six, is 60 games enough time to evaluate him? Well, they took the interim off. Uh, so it is. Uh, he, he is the manager, but the, the interesting part of that, the reason everyone thinks he's still interim, is because Alex Cora is still kind of hanging out there looming. He was suspended for a year because of his involvement in Houston. Uh, no additional discipline at all after the investigation into the Red Sox cheating scandal. So he's uh, eligible to come back and manage this team as soon as this year is over. There's a lot of people who think that's going to happen. Now, I've talked to Alex a few times over the last few months. I I think he might have his sights set on something bigger. I think High and Bloom uh, would like to have his own guy rather than go back to Cora. But it really depends how this season plays out in a lot of ways, whether they they, uh, entertain that. I, I think... If they have a good run and made a playoff spot, then Renicky might, you know, uh, have him, himself a job here going forward as manager of this team. He's a good manager of Milwaukee. He led the Brewers to the playoffs. Uh, he's been really good through all of this because he's been the kind of steady at the helm, calm demeanor, veteran baseball lifer that I think has been really valuable to the players on this team who understandably are a little freaked out by all of this. Uh, they turned to him, and he's been really reassuring in his role. So I think that's been uh, a real asset to this team is, is having someone like Renicky in there. But I don't know. I don't know if 60 games is enough to really evaluate anybody. 
Somebody better tell uh, the people who run RedSox.com to take the interim manager tag off because he's still listening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. I didn't know that. Yeah. You know, they did it as soon as the investigation was over. They took the interim off. So that was only a little bit back because that investigation dragged on forever. Uh, and it's really, you know, I mean, it's semantics because, again, it's a one-year deal. He's the manager. You, you, they did this a few years ago when John Farrell had cancer and had to miss the end of the season. Tori Lovello became the interim manager. And then when Farrell came back, they really gave Lovello essentially a manager's salary to stick around as the bench coach. I think something similar happens to Renicky. If he doesn't stick on as manager, they'll reward him for seeing the, him seeing them through this tough year, and he'll, they'll take care of him. Yeah, we did talk about the pitching staff, but... It, Who's going to replace Sales the ace? Well, I mean, it, it should be Eduardo Rodriguez, but again, he had the positive uh, uh, test for COVID-19. And not only did he have it, he got really sick. He spoke to us over the weekend, and he said, you know, throwing up, high fever, uh, chills, lying in bed for days. He really got it bad. So that sent him way back. He, he stopped throwing, stopped working out for a stretch there, and Really lost a good week. So he's back now. They're going to start throwing him. They're going to stretch him out a little bit. I don't think they'll wait, you know, like you normally would, send him on a minor league rehab. Well, there's no minor league games to send him to a rehab anymore. So my guess is he'll almost end up in a week or so. You'll see him maybe doing like a spring training start where he goes three innings, and then they uh, bring in the bullpen after that. So Erod, who had 19 wins last year in the lowest DRA of his career, uh, he's blossoming as a young pitcher into a into an ace. Uh, Nathan Evaldi again has looked great here at summer camp. Uh, he's got the hundred mile an hour fastball. He's developed a slider that really gives him a nice breaking pitch to to offset the velocity. And if he's healthy, but he's had a host of injuries. If he's healthy, uh, he's really good. So that's the big two. After that, it's cross your fingers and see what you get. Yeah. I mean, I've been to Fenway Park a few times, Tom, and it's a great atmosphere in the ballpark, outside the ballpark. Obviously, no fans allowed in uh, at the uh, in baseball this year because of the pandemic. What is it going to be like watching a game without fans? It's really strange. I've been there for the last couple of weeks watching the team uh, scrimmage. They've had, you know, red-blue scrimmages uh, in front of an empty ballpark, and you know, they have, all the teams now have the, the piped-in crowd sound, which they really have to do because they, they, last week they were still playing with no crowd sound, and it was really jarring. Like, you could hear everything every player was saying. Uh, Ron Renneke said at one point that he was talking about taking his pitcher out. He was talking with his bench coach, and he looked up, and the pitcher was standing on the mountain glaring at him because he could hear everything he was saying. <laughs> so you really need some crowd sound to kind of bury all of that. So it's just going to be strange. I, you know, I don't know what that will mean to, to the home field advantage. They've always had a great home field advantage at Fenway Park, and now you can't help but feel that's going to be gone by the wayside because you don't have that crowd. Uh, visitors still have a lousy clubhouse at Fenway Park, so that can be intimidating. But I, I don't know. I think you lose a little bit of an advantage. Probably the same in New York where Yankee Stadium, even the new one, carries a little bit of a, of a real uh, uh, home field advantage. In places like Tampa Bay and, and Oakland where they don't get any fans, they might have the advantage because they used to play in empty places. So I think this is all going to be so strange. Uh, there's going to be cardboard cutouts in the seats. They had, because of the, the the dugouts are so small, the bullpens 
park, and it's, it's just the strangest thing you've ever seen. Well, the Red Sox open up Friday at Fenway against the Baltimore Orioles, and you can follow uh, Tom on Twitter, at Tom Karen. Tom, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Great talking, Ken. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, please uh, stay safe. We'll catch up again soon. Okay, John Morosi of MLB Network and Fox Sports joins me next. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. I'm Dr. Howard Zucker, New York State's Health Commissioner. I'm calling on all New Yorkers to do their part to slow the spread of coronavirus. Everyone, even young people and those who feel well, stay home. If you must go outside, stay six feet from others. This will ensure everyone who needs hospital care can get it. This virus spreads even without symptoms. Stay home and stay safe. Be a part now so we can all be together later. Stay informed at health.ny.gov slash coronavirus. Hi, this is Will Brown, head coach of the UAlbany men's basketball team. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast as we continue to uh, preview the Major League Baseball season. Let's preview the league with John Paul Morosi of MLB Network and Fox Sports. And we can't forget his contributions to NHL Network. Uh, John, welcome back to the podcast, my friend. How are you doing? And I uh, hope you're staying safe. Ken, likewise, uh, same to you and your family, and, and it's great to, to pick up our conversations right where they left off in, in the press boxes uh, over at Houston Fieldhouse and, and uh, Mesa Rink and, and all, all the great venues there in the ECAC all those years ago. We can't forget the Bright Hockey Center, too. <laughs> That's right. I, I actually visited there. Uh, my, my good friend and, and yours, Tim McDonald, who was, of course, covering the league uh, with me during those years. He got married, uh, actually, in the wintertime, so I was there in January and saw a bit of a a Clarkson-Harvard game that brought back a lot of great memories. That's great. That's great, John. So let's talk. Well, maybe we'll talk a little hockey toward the end of this. But let's, um, you know, it's going to be a weird season in Major League Baseball. 60 games. It's going to be a sprint. How crazy and exciting is this going to be? Well, I'm excited for it. And obviously there is the the concern that we all have and and the understanding the framework uh, of every aspect of life right now and 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 the tragedy that our, our country and our world has gone through, uh, we just have to hope that baseball uh, gives us all some light uh, here during the summer and the fall, and, and I'm optimistic that it will. Uh, you look, Ken, at the last week's data from a standpoint of the testing of the Tier 1 people, meaning the, the players and the close staff, and, and the positive test rate of that time was 0.02% which is extraordinarily encouraging. Now, there are no guarantees in this. Obviously, it'll be a little more challenging once travel resumes in in large scale. But to me, Ken, that says the players, the staff, they've really been abiding by the restrictions that have been set forth. And if uh, if MLB uh, and, and the players continue on the path that we've seen the last week, I am very optimistic that we're going to have a season. There are some new rules this year for the season. Uh, the designated hitter is going to be the uh, used in the National League for the first time. And if a game goes into extra innings, the runner is going to be placed at second base to start the inning. Do you like these changes, and will you think they'd just be for this year? I do like the changes. I think the Universal DH Ken is now here to stay. 
The players' union has always uh, generally been supportive of the idea. It's an extra high-paying job in many cases. Uh, it allows uh, for the extra bat to be in the lineup. It protects the pitchers from injury while bunting, which is obviously something that there, there's been a concern about in the past. So to me, it's, it's something that is a win for the players. Uh, I think it gives them more exciting products from an offensive standpoint. Uh, so I, I think for a lot of reasons, the, the universal DH will be here to stay. It also makes for, to the future, easier uh, expansion. If you want to go to 32 teams, you could have a universal DH and, and go to different geographic divisions where you might see the, the Phillies and the Orioles and the Yankees all in the same division, that sort of thing. So I, I think that makes a lot of sense going forward. The, the tiebreaker rule... I like it. It reminds me of the international tiebreaker, which is uh, first and second uh, with nobody out to begin extra innings. This one's just going to be a runner on second base. But I, I like it. I think it's, it's going to help bring the games to a more efficient conclusion. It's a, actually, I think, a fairer way to decide games uh, than if you've got all of a sudden a, a catcher having to throw the 16th inning. And, and I think, Ken, in large part, it will help the best and most talented players remain in the major leagues. And this is, a, a, to me, a trend that goes far beyond this year. If you think about it in extra inning games in the past, you might have a reliever go four or five innings in extra innings, be scoreless, and then get sent to the minor leagues because he's no longer able to, be, to, to pitch the next couple of days because of rest rules. And that, to me, is unfortunate that players sometimes get sent to the minor leagues for doing a good job. It's not fair, and so I think this is a much better way to manage the roster. Well, I know we're going through this pandemic, but I think you know, both the players and the owners with the negotiations that went on, you know, both I think seem to mishandle it trying to get the season going. I think they could have played 100 games this year and had the expanded playoffs. I mean, who should shoulder the blame for, for all this? Well, Ken, I look at it this way. that uh, The commissioner has said that just based on where they're at with the, with the schedule, that it would have been harder to play more than 60 games. And I think that when you consider all the health protocols uh, that were required to, to put in place, it was going to take some time. And uh, I, I, could they have started a little bit earlier? Perhaps. But I, I think that the 100-game mark would have been just, I think, a little too difficult to reach just based on trying to fit this schedule into what we acknowledge is a somewhat compressed period of time. Well, we have heard Dr. Fauci make the point that even playing games in October uh, will carry risk in the fall. And so even then, the postseason is, is somewhat in jeopardy. So could the season have been a couple weeks longer? Yes. Uh, so that would have put it at, I suppose, 74, 75 games. But I think to get to 100, uh, given all the health protocols that took a lot of time to get into place, uh, I'm just not sure there, there would have been enough time for a 100 or 120-game season this year. You, you talked about the testing, John, and uh, it's, you know, numbers seem to be good. But there's got to be a worry as the season goes on here that someone's going to get it, several players are going to get it. We've already seen some uh, high-profile players uh, opt out of the, for the season. Uh, what do you think happens if um, – if a player gets it and something unfortunate happens, do you think the season stops at that point? Well, Ken, I think first and foremost, uh, if there is a player who, who tests positive, we've already seen that occur, uh, though not quite as often since the, the camps have opened and the players have entered the protocols in which they are at the moment. So we are already seeing right now teams adapting and and isolating the, the, those who have tested positive, making sure they have at least two negative tests at least 
least 24 hours apart to ensure that there's not going to be the risk of, of infection of, of teammates or other staff members at that point in time. So to me, Ken, I, I think we're already observing the way that the teams are handling it. And the fact that the, the positive test rate has gone down uh, from the first week to the second week tells me that when there have been positive tests, that they have been detected quickly, isolated, and that things have actually gone quite well from that standpoint. So it's hard to speculate on, on what happens and how many positive tests on one team, for example, would be the number that would force that team to shut down. But I think, Ken, in general, what I have seen so far, yes, we will continue to see positive tests because uh, that's almost inevitable given the rate of infection in, in the U.S. right now. But I, the, the testing protocols that I have seen, I believe, will help MLB avoid the worst-case scenarios of, of multiple players and a group of players testing positive on the same team. As we speak here on Monday, um, the Blue Jays are a team without a home right now. Canada's not going to let them play at Rogers Center. Uh, they're scrambling to find a place to play. Where do they end up? Well, I've seen one report recently from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette that Pittsburgh has now entered uh, the equation. And I actually think that that might be the best option of all. Now, they couldn't probably play every single game there because there are seven days on which there is overlap of the Pirates playing at home and the Blue Jays would have to play at home. Uh, maybe there is some reconfiguration that could happen with the schedule here and there. Uh, but to me, Ken, it really has a lot of appeal. It's a major league facility, obviously, one of the most beautiful ballparks that we've got in our country. And logistically, Pittsburgh is far enough east that it would not be a meaningful travel issue for teams coming from Tampa, New York, etc. So geographically it works. There's a really good relationship between Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins, who are the president and GM of the Blue Jays, with their counterparts in Pittsburgh, Ben Sherrington, who has been a friend of theirs for a long time and worked for them for a long time. So there's, uh, I think, a lot of reasons to believe, Ken, that Pittsburgh may well be the best possibility, although uh, Buffalo, uh, we know, uh, is still an option as well, depending on how things play out. And may maybe even there's a scenario where both Buffalo and Pittsburgh are used in different days, and, and Pittsburgh a majority of the time with Buffalo picking up the remaining games. And as you know from your hockey travels, Buffalo to Pittsburgh is a pretty reasonable drive and, and would not be that much of a, an inconvenience for those if you have to move between those two sites. And of course, Buffalo being the uh, minor league affiliate of the Blue Jays, it seems it would make sense to have some games there as well. Right, and, and we already know that Buffalo has been mentioned as the alternative training site for the Blue Jays minor league players to, to stay sharp, uh, that part of the 60-player pool that's not uh, playing in the major league at that given time. So I do expect there to be some activity in Buffalo in general, uh, but there is some concern about the infrastructure, clubhouse, weight room, lighting, very importantly. Major League Standard lighting is a huge deal if you're playing uh, games at night. Obviously, it's, it's a player safety issue. It's a broadcast quality issue. A lot of factors are in play when it comes to lighting, and it appears right now that there are some questions about the caliber of lighting in Buffalo, even though, again, I, I do expect the Jays will utilize Buffalo in some way, shape, or form because it is the AAA home of their AAA affiliate in the International League. Well, let's look at the season here, John. The Dodgers and Yankees are considered the favorites to get to the World Series. But with so few games, is there a team that can come out of the nowhere and get off the great start and surprise us? Sure. Maybe not nowhere. Uh, I, I would not expect, for example, uh, 
my hometown of Detroit Tigers to, to win the American League this year. But uh, I, I look at teams like the White Sox who have been getting better and better as the years have gone on. The Cincinnati Reds, for me, Ken, are, uh, I think they're going to win the division in the Central this year, and they are a dangerous team. People do not talk enough about their rotation and, and their strength there. They'll be able to begin with Sonny Gray. Luis Castillo, I believe, was one of the 10 or 15 best pitchers in baseball. Trevor Bauer for a full season. Wade Miley. Anthony DiSclefani, a, a, a great pitcher that we've kind of forgotten about in recent years who I think has tremendous stuff. So that's a team, I believe, with Joey Votto rejuvenated and they brought in Nicholas Castellanos and Mike Moustakas. That's a great team. I, I really think Cincinnati wins the National League Central, and if they do, that's the kind of club that I believe could create a lot of problems for the Los Angeles Dodgers this year. I got to ask you a personal question about my Phillies. Uh, obviously, the new manager Joe Girardi, which I'm ecstatic about because I was not a Gabe Kapler fan. Uh, what are their chances? Great, I think. Uh, actually, I just posted a, a video to Twitter. In fact, uh, uh, they're my pick to win the National League East. I think Joe Girardi's going to have a phenomenal effect on on their roster. Let's not forget why there was such enthusiasm around the Phillies a year ago. They made some. Incredible move. They brought in Bryce Harper. Real Muto, I think, is the best all-around catcher in baseball. McCutcheon was great until he got hurt, and I think that really uh, sent their season into a tailspin. Uh, you just saw how valuable Andrew is to their club. Uh, and then they've added Didi Gregorius, who, of course, Girardi knows well from the Yankees. Joe manages a bullpen so well, and you've got Jay Bruce now as a DH, effectively. And that's a really deep lineup. I, I think it is one of the deepest lineups in the National League. League. The, the tough part is that's a very competitive division. Uh, I think the Mets are, are going to be a very good club this year. Uh, I look at them and maybe Cespedes can give them some good DH days, uh, Strowman for a full season. I think the Nationals are really going to miss Rendon. The Braves, I think, will miss Marcakis. They also will probably be without Will Smith and Cole Hamels to begin the year. So the, the Braves, to me, uh, I, I like a lot of what they've done uh, with their club the last several years promoting some young players, but I, I just think they're going to be a little bit short this year, of course missing Donaldson as well, so uh, that's a ball club in Atlanta that uh, I, we can't overlook them because they're the reigning division champs back-to-back -back years, but I just don't think they quite have the same firepower as recent years and I look at um, the, the top of the division there with the Phillies uh, and, and really liking Aaron Nola's form so far this spring, I'm, I'm optimistic and so not, not just because we're talking, we're friends I've got the Phillies winning the National well, I appreciate that. One final question for you. It's a hockey-related question. Obviously, you do some work for NHL Network. I don't know what your schedule is going to be like with baseball and hockey going on at the same time. But to see what the NHL did, I mean, there, were no, there was no animosity. They ended up extending the CBA. They extended it. got the, the playoff thing in gear. They got everything, they got everything right. Now, now there's going to be labor peace through 2026. I mean, how stunning is that to you, John? When we see baseball bickering like that, we're starting to see football bickering, and some, and maybe not so much with the NBA, but you know, there's some, you know, some players aren't aren't happy with the situation right now. But the NHL, you know, this isn't the league that canceled the season because of a lockout, and they've had other lockouts. And to see this peace and harmony, I, I was shocked. Yeah, it's a great point, Ken. And I remember uh, thinking back to when I was living in Albany for that season and, and sitting in Nate Lehman's office right after they canceled the season uh, for the NHL in 0405, and that was that was it. There was no NHL that year, and, and to, to have now this, this period of 
labor peace uh, going forward is really remarkable to, to think about that uh, and have now, uh, we hope, uh, NHL players going to the Olympics for two years in 2022 and 2026. And I think, to me, Ken, one of the really important things that I saw was on the very first news conference, uh, Gary Bettman, when he was on NBCSN here in the States, um, uh, speaking about his plans, one of the first things that he did, this was uh, the news conference back in May, was he thanked the superstar players of the National Hockey League for their communication and their collaboration. He thanked by name Connor McDavid and Mark Scheifele and others for, for being so involved in the process. And I think that, to me, just spoke to the transparency and the trust that exists right now in the National Hockey League. For whatever reason, uh, obviously, the, the baseball conversations were, were more discordant than what hockey had. That's, obvious, that's plain to see for all of us. Uh, and I just think on the positive side, for the NHL, it was a long time, I think, for Gary Bettman to really cultivate those relationships and keep those lines of communication open where the players felt empowered to share their own perspectives about how things needed to go. And the hubs, I think the way that they were conceived uh, was very well thought out. I think that it, it makes sense to stay on one side of the border right now, which they will do there in Toronto and Edmonton. So I think overall it's a pretty encouraging place for the National Hockey League. John, I appreciate you coming on. You're proud of John Morosi on Twitter, at John Morosi. John, thank you very much, my friend. We'll talk soon. My, my pleasure, Ken. I think that was my two-year-old trying to chime in with her thoughts on the National Hockey League as well. That's, uh, uh, that's how things go when they work from home here, my friend. But thanks, thanks as always for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. Appreciate it, John. We'll back, be back to wrap up the podcast in just a moment. Hi, this is Miles Reed, editor of the Daily Gazette. These are difficult times. For most of us, the coronavirus crisis has been a time of unprecedented upheaval, uncertainty, and fear. What does it all mean for our health, our families, our jobs, and our futures? At the Daily Gazette, our journalists have been working tirelessly to answer these questions and many more that have come up during this whole pandemic. How many people have tested positive locally? How many have died? Has anyone died in the local nursing homes? Now, in these difficult times, we're turning to you to support our work by purchasing a subscription or making a donation to help fund our daily efforts. With your support, these are the questions we're continuing to report on. Every day, our reporters and photographers have been working the streets and the phones to answer these critical questions. And every day, they answer the bell with their timely and well-documented reports from the front lines in the region. Behind the scenes, the rest of our editorial team, including our sports writers, copy editors, and digital producers, have been wholly focused on covering the COVID-19 story. During this critical time, everyone here at the paper is working to provide important news and information to keep the community safe and connected. But our ability to serve our community is being threatened by some economic challenges posed by the pandemic. We have stay-at-home orders, business closures, and school shutdowns, and they're contributing to the massive instability in the local business landscape. 
Despite all of these changes, the Gazette will remain committed to serving the community for many years to come, just as we've been doing unfailingly for the past 125 years. So please go to thedailygazette.com and donate or purchase a subscription to the Daily Gazette. Thank you, be well, and please keep reading. Hi, this is Albany football coach Greg Atuso. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette associate sports editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast, keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. Now that the state is reopened, that does not mean you should relax. Keep wearing the face mask while you're out. Be considerate. Be safe. Join me for the next edition of the Parting Shots podcast on Thursday when Gazette sports writer Mike McGannon joins me to review opening week at Saratoga Racecourse and previews week two. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Christy Ackert, Tim Healy, Tom Karen, and John Paul Morosi for coming on the show. The Parting Shots podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Subscribe today. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, Good day, good sports, be smart, stay safe.